Hello there and welcome to Season 6, Episode 2 of the Bitcoin Takeover Podcast. I am Vlad and my guest today is another first-timer who has been involved in the Bitcoin space for quite some time, but never got the spotlight to talk about what he's up to and what he does. And his name is Crypto Coder Bob, or 8333Coin, which is the port to which you connect when you run a full node. And he enjoys running full nodes and setting people up to run their own full nodes. And I guess we're going to have a very interesting conversation about this. Hello, Bob. Hey, Vlad. Thanks for having me. Here, I got to say, you're uh, one of the few people who catches on to the E333 quickly. I got to explain that to pretty much anybody I uh, give my Twitter handle to. I remember I had some issues with port forwarding when I I got my Casa node in 2019, very sure. early on. Sure, sure. I was working for Crypto Insider at the time, so they sent me a review copy. And I was kind of frustrated because I could open channels, but I, I could only send but not receive. I totally understand that pain when I first started up my uh, node and I was you know running on my own uh, router. I didn't realize for some time that I was not having uh, traffic both in and out. And it was only when I started searching online why that number was always zero that I needed to change that port. Um, and it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. It took a little bit of trial and error in the, the router configuration. But, uh, you know, you're not really running a full node until you've got that port open. Yeah, I mean, if you don't op open the port 8333, then you can only connect to up to six peers, which isn't bad in itself, but you're not really using the full potential of your node. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I also kind of thought it would be uh, sound like if you pronounce the eight like a B, it would be Beatcoin, which is a horrible joke, and nobody actually probably picked up on that, but that is my handle, and I've stuck with it. You can change it, but yeah, Beatcoin. Okay. That's what I was going for. Lost joke. Figured it could go two ways. Okay. So tell me more about yourself. How did you get involved? Why did you get involved? It doesn't matter when, because that seems to be like a badge of pride for some people. No, no. I, I, I think that is important to reveal. Uh, the year was 2017. Uh, I was working uh, at a company and... Uh, as a new person at this company, they had what is what they call a journal club. Um, essentially, someone picks or the group picks a scientific paper to read and the group reads it and then they meet and then they discuss about this paper. There are many different formats for this, but um, within our company, it was super informal um, and the people were really welcoming, especially the person who ran it. Um, and I thought this is a, this would be a great way to to meet new people at the company I was working at. Um, and coincidentally, the first paper was the Bitcoin white paper. And um, my background happens to be formally trained in computer science and business. And the Bitcoin white paper immediately appealed to me. Um, it's not that long. And I think probably within the first two pages. I mean, just the abstract and the introduction alone really resonated with me. Um, I could see the connection immediately between um, both the computer science side of 
what this meant, as well as the um, economic implications of this. And so I was hooked from the first page, which is hard for me. I'm really not a big reader. Um, and this was kind of just an excuse for me to meet people. But um, the, the, the stars really aligned for me that day when I read that. Um, and the rest is kind of history from there. I was, I was hooked. And, you know, down the rabbit hole you go, as, as everybody knows, who's really fallen in love with this. Yeah, that's usually what happens when you read the white paper. Sometimes people get hooked for ideological reasons, just because they like the idea of free money. And sometimes you get technical people who can understand the mathematics and understand that it makes sense. And that's on page five or six, I think. Yeah, I could never understand what's happening in there, but I've spoken to mathematicians who said they were fascinated with how much sense it made. Yeah, I, I just had, I would say, um, I don't have a, a great background in cryptography or anything, but um, understanding how um, public key cryptography works and um, key sharing and how you can use that to secure information, send it to other people and have them see it without anybody on the wire intercepting your information um, made sense to me. And I could really see the value in how a blockchain could be used to um, store information on this distributed ledger and um, why that means so much more than just, oh, there's information everywhere and a bunch of people can see it and have the same state. Um, I think there's so many different parallels that we can compare that to where it just sounds like this kind of interesting new phenomena, but what does it really mean? Um, I don't know, maybe the, the telegram, you can just send, oh, you, you could you could send information across long distances. What could that be used for? Or, or the, even the internet in its early days, we can send small amounts of information pretty slowly over long distances. What could, what could that really be useful for, right? Um, I mean, even computing in its really early days. Oh, we figured out a way to crunch numbers kind of fast, but it costs a lot of money and it takes up the entire room to build one of these expensive machines. Um, uh, that's kind of really where I see Bitcoin right now. Um, and that's why a lot of people view it in the way that it is. It's just a, it's a, it's an early technology is the way I still say it. Um, but I was able to pick that up just from reading the white paper. And um, I still really believe in that, um, you know, the genie in the bottle has been released and uh, it's not going back in. It's really an amazing technology that Satoshi developed. Yeah, and the beauty of it is that it accumulates so many inventions of the cypherpunk culture and puts them into one that isn't necessarily cypherpunk money because Chamian Cash was all about privacy. Bitcoin is about being open, but simultaneously acquiring some sort of plausible deniability, as there is no way, unless you're using a custodian, to associate a private key with someone's identity. Yeah, and, and I, on top of that, I think there are so many use cases that will be built on top of this. Um, I really see Bitcoin as just the, um, the settlement layer, the, just uh, a finality state. Um, you know, the same way you can hand cash to someone and be 99.99% certain that it's a valid bill. I can look at it. I can mark it with a marker to determine if it's real. I can give it to somebody else. And then um, if they think it's real, then they'll accept my money and our transaction goes through. Um, then my transaction is valid. Kind of the same way you got to wait. Um, 
arguably six blocks for something to be confirmed. Um, the, the finality state's really the most important thing. Right, and I was thinking right now, you might have helped a lot of people run their own nodes, right? You have spoken to people, you've helped them set up and become financially sovereign. I think we spoke about this, I guess. Yeah. So what was your experience with it? Yeah, so um, definitely helped um, at least one person spin up a node and definitely more that I'm encouraging to. And um, that's easier said than done. Um, you know, shout out to my group of buddies who um, constantly have to listen to me um, talk about, you know, self-sovereignty and running your own node and what it really means um, and the value in Bitcoin. Um, but getting them to actually jump into the rabbit hole and running your own node is is a huge step. I think even the um, more importantly, the first step is, and I guess Pompliano says this on Twitter all the time, get off zero. I think that's such an interesting, not an interesting, but such an important uh, statement. Um, and this really applies to not just individuals, but uh, businesses who have cash. We just saw, what was it? Uh, micro, I don't know what that company was called, but they just invested um, a significant portion of their cash reserves into Bitcoin. Uh, steps like that, where they're getting off of zero, meaning you have no Bitcoin and then you invest and now you have stacked sats. You have more than zero. Um, and more importantly than that is um, not only get off zero, but stay off zero. And that's really probably the next most important movement once we get people on boarded, which is pretty much the education side of things. Uh, how do you protect the SATs that you now own? How do you get them off an exchange and securely hold them in your wallet? What is your methodology of holding them? Do you use a hardware wallet? Do you use multi-sig? Are you writing things down? Are you using a safety deposit box? There's so many different options for di for different people's security preferences and levels that they need to secure it, that getting them to a node is kind of a step above all of that. So once we get them off zero and teach them how to stay off zero, I think that's the next step in order is now you can contribute and help other people get off zero, stay off zero, and run your own node and contribute to the network. Um, so it's it's hard to get people to run a node because you got to get them through those first couple steps first. Um, and that's that's been a challenge for me, but something I definitely uh, push actively onto people, uh, kind of whether they like it or not. It's part of my personality at this point. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's part of my personality, but I've also advised some people on how to be sovereign, <laughs> how to store their coins and do some essential stuff to be their own custodians, be their own banks, not have to trust any third party. Yeah, but yeah. usually I recommend them something very simple that they can understand. Otherwise, if they get lost in multi-sig and... Shamir's secret sharing sure, and yep. all of that stuff. It, you know, the security that you don't understand yourself and on which you cannot backtrack when you need it to is way too much and can lead to becoming your own worst enemy. No, you can I, I totally agree. how you're supposed to use it. And you mentioned that somehow running a full node is above all of these layers. I think I disagree. It's the simplest operation that you can do. I, you can just download Bitcoin Core in 10 minutes 
I'm not sure if the average user verifies the binaries, but you download it, you let it sync, and that's pretty much it. You just have to learn how to use it as a wallet and back it up on some sort of cold storage, and that's kind of it. The fact of the matter is if someone's going to run a full node, they're going to have to be at least, I don't know, four out of 10 technically savvy. And for them to also run a full node, they're going to have to have a financial interest in this. So the first thing is they're not going to run a full node if they don't own coins. That's just a fact. They don't have any incentive to do it. They're not going to dedicate hardware to do that. So you have to get them to understand the value proposition in Bitcoin first. So once you do that, and then they stack sats for the first time, right? They get off zero. If at that point you want to introduce them, hey, it's your time to contribute to the network. Forget about them. And I agree with you on this. Forget about the multi-sig. Forget about complicated security solutions. Say you don't even get them off of an exchange at this point and you want to get them onto a full node. To simplify it, to say, oh, you just download it and run it. I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification. Oversimplification as someone who is, I guess, technically, um, adept and I run my own full node, it's, I, you know, I'd say it's easy and you don't have to check the signatures to, to get one running. I, although I highly suggest you check the signatures, it's not that easy, right? I still had to figure out how to do port forwarding. That wasn't something that was initially clear to me. You still have to understand how to read at least basic documentation. Um, how do you untar a file? Maybe you, you're running on if you're not running on Linux, it's as easy as, um, I don't know, right-clicking and doing something. But um, it's I think it's a little bit of an oversimplification to say, oh, it's easy to just have someone run a full node. Because if you are using just um, Bitcoin Core and you're not using um, like a Casa node or something that kind of packages it up and uses a UI for you, you're going to have to hop in the command line possibly. And... It's not as easy as one, two, three. It really isn't yet. Um, and so that's why I kind of stress right now getting people off zero before we get them on nodes. Um, and because I see the node as basically um, working to strengthen your investment. You're supporting your investment by running a node. It's not going to go the other way around. You're never going to run a node before you own coin. That's just not the case. I don't know anyone who's do that. I've never heard of anyone who's done that. So we have to introduce the, the value proposition in Bitcoin before we can get them to run a node. With this, I can agree, but anyone who has ever operated some sort of torrent file to download stuff should more easily understand how Bitcoin full nodes work. I, I agree with that, but you're assuming there's a large population of people who have done that. The kind of people that I have primarily introduced to Bitcoin are not people who ever were in the torrent kind of era or don't torrent now. So the technical expertise of these kind of people is I've never used command line. I've never written a line of code. I don't know what signatures mean. It's very much more... I'm I'm familiar with Venmo. I know how to use Cash App and I know how to scan a barcode. It's not um, untarring files and opening ports. We're just not there yet with the with the general public. So the first thing is get them onto coin. And then once they can kind of jump down the rabbit hole, maybe even a little bit themselves, they'll understand the value in running a full node. 
Um, and so I definitely support these kind of catered solutions that help pay people run nodes um, with these graphical interfaces, kind of plug and play solutions. Um, I know people who have just packaged up shell scripts that download Bitcoin Core on TAR for you and then run it. Yes, that's a good solution, but the kind of people who are going to find that shell script aren't the people who are going to find that shell. The kind of people who are going to find that shell script aren't going to be the people. It's not the target audience, I guess, that, that they think that they're targeting. Um, you're talking about, you know, pretty much untechnical people. They're technical with using their cell phones and not a command line. There's kind of a fine line between that. I guess there is a very large divide when it comes to users from the United States and Romanian users and Russian ones and pretty much all of us on the Eastern Bloc who I guess 20 years ago had like 90% piracy. Ah, yes. Okay, I can so, understand the, the yeah, difference. It was the part kind of, of learning yeah. how to use a computer when you learn how to use whereas groups and torrents and stuff like that. Sure, yeah. And that's kind of the perspective I'm trying to offer here, which is that the kind of people that you know I'm buddies with uh, that I'm trying to get to understand Bitcoin or get involved um, aren't necessarily as well-versed, weren't as forced um, as it sounds like the people that you've interacted with in your past um, to kind of have to jump through hoops to get their internet working they want the way they wanted it to to you know to find videos or whatever it is whatever content they wanted to access um there was just much more plug and play i guess in the united states in the era in the same era that we're talking about i mean i can understand your perspective because the younger generation doesn't have to toggle and change you know settings as much as we did they have their tablets they have their smartphones, and these are not as flexible as, for example, my first computer, which ran Windows 95, and I had to configure everything and write command line, you know, inputs. Oh, yeah, forget it. I mean, I didn't, oh, I don't think I touched command line until I was probably, you know, 14 or 15 and that was voluntarily i wasn't trying to solve a problem or access a specific website or get around some sort of barrier at that point that was more of me jumping into my learning of coding uh, something that i love to this day and you know do professionally now um but uh it would definitely i can definitely understand if you know you had to start running scripts and configuring settings on your computer at a younger age, how that would make you a little bit more um, skilled to be able to just start running Bitcoin Core and seeing it kind of as a as an easy task, because really, you know, to us it is relatively simple to get going. Um, but if you've never uh, interacted with a command line, I think you can agree with me that maybe it's a little bit of a daunting task, especially if you have to hop in your router settings and plug in localhost in your web browser. What is that address? So. There are some hoops to jump through and it's not completely solved yet. And not only that, it's finding the knowing how to find the information to do that online. So I'm sure you're, you know, very comfortable with using Stack Overflow and knowing how to find answers to these kind of questions on the internet. 
But to someone who doesn't know that they have to forward a port, they're not going to know. You don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what to search. So the problems become a lot more daunting uh, as a complete noob. So let's find like a point of agreement in this situation. I guess running a Bitcoin node is still simple or a lot more simpler than, for example, jailbreaking your phone sure. and running custom firmware and doing stuff like that. I, I would agree with that, although I will say I did jailbreak my, I guess it was an iTouch at the time, um, well before I knew how to use command line. I was able to find YouTube videos at that point to do it. Um, but, you know, with YouTube now, I guess you could figure out how to plug stuff in the command line as well. So um, I also have faith that the younger generation uh, is going to be able to be a lot more tech savvy and figure this kind of stuff out. But I I guess we can agree that um, jailbreaking is relatively more complicated. Um but I just was the kind of person who was going to spend the hours to figure that out at that age because I really wanted to jailbreak my iTouch at that time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always useful to learn this stuff. I think it was like, what, anyway, Cydia at that time? I can't remember. Getting back to Bitcoin nodes, do you have any kind of opinions in regards to these plug-and-play nodes that are around and you can install? So I have very little experience with them. Um, I personally don't run any of the plug and play options. I haven't used any of the plug and play options. Um, I have heard, I believe, what is it? My Node BTC. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I, it's the most popular. I yeah, think. I've, um, uh, I've seen the user interface for that and I've seen kind of the options that it offers in their user interface and it looks pretty great. Um, but I really just don't have enough experience with any of the plug and play options to make an informed comment on them. I think if I were to run one of these, I would get Raspy Blitz. Okay, so I've, I've heard of, okay, so there's Raspy Blitz and then there's another Raspi Torch, not Raspi Torch. Uh, there's another one with a similar name. One is more, um, I guess, lower level, if you will, than the other. Um, with more configuration options. But is the Raspi Blitz the one specifically for the Raspberry Pi implementation? Yeah, and you're supposed to have a touch screen to make it work. I think it <laughs> yes. also works with a regular screen. Yeah, I okay, I've got, um, and shout out to Vicarious Drama, uh, I believe is the person who introduced me to that, um, who also has been doing excellent work, I should say, um, with cold cards and communicating with NVK and Jameson. Um, shout out to him on Twitter. Um, introduced me to uh, Raspi. Um, but I really just don't know enough about it to, to comment it. I just run um, your pretty much bare bones Bitcoin core. So uh, I kind of skipped the whole plug and play step. I, I wanted to understand more about I, I know I wanted to jump in to the full thing and understand it. And when I say the full thing, I mean Bitcoin Core. I wanted to jump into that um, before kind of getting a catered solution to me. Um, and that kind of went with 
all of the steps of the process with me before I even bought my first sat, before I ever got a hardware wallet, before I created my own wallet. Um, I wanted to do the research to be sure that I knew what I was doing before I jumped into it. Um, so I knew I wanted to run Bitcoin Core. I wanted to have a full node running 24-7. Um, but before I took, I guess, quote unquote, the leap, not that there's really any risk to running a node, but I wanted to see how other people had done it before I did it myself. Um, I didn't want to kind of be handheld through it, if you will, and have kind of a catered solution. Not that I'm advocating against those solutions. I think they're awesome. Um, I just personally wanted to pursue, I knew I wanted to run Bitcoin Core and kind of see how other people had done it before I did it myself. Done my homework. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how many people think in these terms that they want to experiment on their own and possibly create their own wallets that suit their own needs. But the usefulness of these dashboards, I suppose this is what they're called, is that you get a Lightning client and it's a lot more difficult to also run Lightning on top of your Bitcoin node. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I look very fondly on Lightning. Um, I see this something really promising. Um, that and possibly Liquid, which I know, I will say I know less about Liquid than I do about Lightning, um, but I'm both very excited that there are side chains like this being built on top of Bitcoin because I really do see that as the future. Um, I Obviously, Bitcoin is the settlement layer. Um, it's not going to scale to a Visa amount of transactions without these layers on top of it. So to get the ball rolling on these other side chains is huge. Um, and then even, I, I guess, uh, I just became informed about RGB. Um, pretty excited about that. You know, we're going to get... Uh, Spark contracts, I guess, on top of Lightning, or possibly, uh, I just know Bitcoin's the settlement layer, the all finality and commit, basically the commitment state ends up on chain. Uh, but smart contracts are going to be huge because uh, I don't believe those are in Lightning right now, as I understand it. Uh, I kind of forget your question. I'm just running on a tangent of how awesome Lightning and Liquid are. Uh, oh, the dashboard running Lightning. Yeah, so that's really cool that they offer those options. I personally do not run um, any Lightning. That's something I'm kind of in the stage now of educating myself on how to get set up with Lightning, open channels, um, and 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 how to fund things. Um, I know there's like a ton of different implementations out there. I'm not exactly sure which one I want to use yet. So. Um, just like I did for Bitcoin Core, just like I did for hardware wallets, just like I did before Stack Sets. I'm kind of in my own uh, research phase now before I launch my own channel. Oh, that's the best approach, I guess. Yeah. I first wanted to run a Lightning node just because I knew that I could collect some sats by routing payments. But with the current routing mechanism and the principle on which it works, I wasn't routing anything because I'm geographically far away from where it's happening. I mean, the main activity is happening. So if there is not much, there aren't many transactions going on in my area, in my proximity, then I'm not going to collect many fees from routing. So uh, 
unless I can do it via Tor. But it's still not to the point where it's economically sustainable. Yeah, I and I, what is it? The is the number been bumped up from like 0.16 Bitcoin or whatever it is, like the the channel size at this point. I know it's very much still in the kind of its experimental phase. Don't send too much at once. It's even hard to find liquidity at uh, larger amounts just because you'd have to have so many channels open. Um, I think it's super awesome to, I guess, experiment with. Um, I'd love to open, what is it, the tipin.me. I never got one of those set up. That was definitely one of my incentives just to be, be able to, you know, send back and forth small amounts of sats for people's funny tweets or memes or gifts or whatnot. Um, and as a gift creator myself, I'd love to receive some small amount of sats for my hard work in Adobe After Effects. Um, yeah, it's, the Lightning Network is pretty awesome. And I absolutely see secondary and tertiary layers um, being the future of how Bitcoin can possibly function in a hyper, you know, post-hyper-Bitcoinization world, if that's what we'll call it. What I like most about Lightning is the privacy dimension. It's very understated. I suppose not many people care about privacy in Bitcoin because I see a lot of them just openly using centralized exchanges, even though they have the best network, they have huddle huddle, they just brag about stacking sats on SatsApp or whatever. And they also apply to programs such as Lolly to get some sats back. I mean, I wouldn't do that. It's like telling them about how much money you own and what kind of purchases you're making. You're generating a lot of marketing data that can be turned against you at any point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, But I certainly think the approach you take to stack sats depends on where you are. If you're already in a place where surveillance and KYC is very prominent, you're actually taking a risk by using something like BISC or um, what, localbitcoins.com. Um, you don't know who you're going to meet up with. Um, if your approach, I mean, truly, if you want no KYC and no paper trail, you have to meet someone and hand off cash. There's just almost no way around it at this point unless you're going through a privacy coin. And then even then, how did you get onto the privacy coin? Did you go through an exchange to purchase it? The fact of the matter is you, you got to go either through a service, you know, you provide a service for someone and then they, they send you sats or you're going to find a, you know, a P2P network and um, exchange coins in private with someone. That's a lot harder than you'd think. I've actually just explored experimentally different locations. Um, if I hypothetically wanted to do something like this, it's not easy. Um, you can even argue that using a Bitcoin ATM is a solution for this, but then, um, you know, if you're really into your security, how about the security cams of the gas station where the Bitcoin ATM lies at the end of the day, there's no perfect solution unless you're really meeting someone in a dark alley with your cash. Um, and that's, not even really that offered on local Bitcoins. Um, I know with BISC, you can do things like money orders, which I guess are potentially a solution, but you're going to get killed by fees, but maybe that's worth it for the privacy. It just depends on your threat model and how much privacy you really need. 
Um, but it's it's really hard to do if you want to be truly anonymous in how you collect coins. I agree, though, that, you know, lollies, while it's great that they're offering a way for people to stack sats on purchases they're already going to be making, um, you know, you're you're pretty much a marketer's dream. Um, there's no doubt that, you know, what Cash App is owned by Square and they're a public company that they're going to be harvesting data. Um, it, it just depends on your threat model and your and your preference for how much security you really need. Um, but then there's also the argument for things like, well, do you mix your coins and how much privacy and security does that really offer? So it's just a person by person basis what your needs really are um, for either the short term or the long term. So as far as I know, BISC is using this escrow system so that you don't have to meet anyone in a dark alley. You just deposit the Bitcoins in an escrow. And let's say that you're selling it to somebody and the person sends you the wire transfer to your bank account. And it's person to person. The banks are not going to know what's going on and why that person has sent you money. And if you have received the fiat, then you release the escrow and that's going to be a successful purchase. It goes the other way around. You send your fiat when you want to buy. With fiat, you know that you can do what's it called a chargeback. So if you feel like you're getting scammed, you can just call your credit card company to cancel that one transaction and it's going to be fine. No, I'm, so, I'm definitely bullish on these types of solutions. Uh, I, I love P2P. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, Western Union still has a record of, you know, Bob made this transaction at this time from this teller at this gas station, right? So oh yeah, but it, nobody's going to know that it's associated with Bitcoin at all. I, I agree with you. Um but at the end of the day, in some sort of long-term investigation, there is a there is a record. Let's not deny that. Yeah, there is a record that you interacted with, with somebody and you bought or sold, you sent money or received money from some person. If that person is involved in investigations, then I guess that's bad news for you. Right. Yeah. I, because you never know who's on the other end. Right. It's pretty much the second best way, arguably, other than a cash or a service provided to receive sats on the other end. Yeah, I agree with this. Yeah. Um, but it's still, you know, an interesting alternative, which doesn't allow anyone to know that there's Bitcoin involved. Yeah, I've even seen things like, uh, and I forget the, the company that does this, they run kind of like a, like a gift card you can buy. So you could you could hop into your to the store and with cash purchase one of these gift cards, um, but then you've got the, I guess third party risk of this company issuing the cards. Uh, they'll know where you bought it. I don't know. It's just another so is option. Is it I've seen I forget the name. I don't even know if they're offered in the states. I've just seen them on Twitter, and I thought it was an interesting product. Yeah, it's definitely bit refill. Yeah. Okay. They offer all sorts of gift cards, and you—they are in the states, by the way. I, I'm specifically talking about their gift cards to redeem cash for Bitcoin, not um, like buying a Starbucks gift card, for example. Oh, okay. Yeah, I—I I, I am familiar with Bit Refill. I just—I think it's something different. 
think it's, I think it's coin something, but I don't know. I never got involved. I've only used bit refill once for experimental purposes to see how it works. And it's definitely interesting. You can accept to receive the code on your email address, or you just copy it from that window, which appears on your screen, and that's it. You paste it when you finish your order, and that's the end of it. You don't have to provide too much information. It's actually amazing how much information you have to provide these days, even just to get an email. I remember trying to get an email... um, just set up for like a, a small use case and um, you know, they want your phone number at this point for your, for your backup. Uh, the, basically the number of hoops you want to, you have to jump through at this point to get an email that's just not associated with anybody that you're going to use temporarily is way harder than it looks. Um, I think there's only a one or two providers I can think of off the top of my head that make it possible. Um, you should name them, <laughs> uh, just in case somebody needs that. I guess the one I can think of, Yahoo still works for that. But I mean, let's, they've been breached. I don't know. I have very low trust in Yahoo. But I do know you can make a Yahoo email account uh, without a backup phone number. That said, they will always hassle you every time you log in for your phone number or a backup email address. Um, and I think as great as ProtonMail is, I don't know, I'm going to have to be fact-checked on this. People will have to comment on this, but uh, ProtonMail was requiring I had a backup email address, but that kind of defeats the purpose of me trying to generate an anonymous email address. So I seem to remember that. It's been a little bit since I've done this, um, but I do remember having to jump through hoops and yelling at my computer for pretty much an entire night until I found the right solution for this. Um, yeah, there's still merit to the burner phone, unfortunately. Yeah, and these are harder to get, by the way. That's right. In Romania, you, you could, last year, get a SIM card just by walking into a store and saying, hey, I want to get a SIM card in this network, and they would just sell it to you, no questions asked. Yeah, that's Now the they have be. to register... That's the way it should be. I mean, um, and I mean, I guess while we're on the topic of SIM cards, I mean, how about SIM swapping? Um, you know, at this point, that's such a huge attack vector that we've seen, um, not only lately, but in the past few years, it's maybe maybe the most common approach at this point to steal, um, to attack high net worth individuals that you know have coins. Um, if if at this point you don't have your network have a note on your account that requires you to have either uh, a pin and or in-person um, ID presented to make changes to your account, um, you need to go ahead and make those changes because a, a SIM swap attack is pretty much uh, it's pretty much fatal for all your accounts at this point. I mean, put it this way, once your email is compromised, that's going to be your primary backup for so many different accounts that you have that you're toast. So a SIM swap is pretty much it makes you toast at this point. Um, especially, especially if you have two-factor authentication registered to your phone number and you're not using a, a, an authenticator app. So that's just a huge mistake. Um, and it's really just not that hard to, to tell your provider to set you up with one of these pins and 
um, in-person requirements. Um, and I'd also encourage people to kind of audit them on that. Pretend that you're trying to change your things and see if they require you to go through these uh, security and authentication steps. Because every provider is going to act differently. Yeah, I remember having this issue with my bank. They used to have these call devices in which I would put my credit card. I think it's a debit card, but it doesn't matter. I put my card inside. I insert my PIN. That's not connected to any internet computer. It just generates a code that I use to authenticate on the website. So that's the way it used to be. It was offline. It was safe. It was convenient. Maybe not convenient because you had to carry that token device all the time. Right. But now they just made me... They changed their internet platform. And I have to use my phone for 2FA to receive a code. And I actually spoke with their tech support. And I told them, you know, this is not as secure as the device that I was using. Is there any way for me to still use that? And oh, he did that PR work. You know, he told me, oh, but it's safe. And it was right. tested by our experts. And what you're thinking in terms of SIM swapping, that's such a small attack vector and blah, blah, blah. And it hasn't happened in my experience. So if it hasn't happened, then, you know, you shouldn't worry. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, if you come off as a person who feels that you need high security on these kind of accounts, you come off as a crazy person. And it's... Or they make you pay a premium. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, the number of... I, you know, utility companies, um, you know, not even just phone companies that that call me randomly. And, you know, people are very hesitant to answer a phone call in that right now, even if, you know, if they're not in their contacts, they don't answer. Uh, I, I will always answer the phone, um, but just not say anything and wait for them to talk. But, uh, the, you know, they'll say, hi, I'm with so-and-so. And then they're basically prying for information or you know, maybe it's not malicious, but they're jumping in under the assumption that you're just okay with offering up information for some appointment or to confirm something. Um, and the question you always need to ask is, well, well hold on, who are you? And how, how can you prove to me that you are who you say you are? Um, and so I, I always run them through an audit. You know, if the utility company calls me and they tell me, oh, you know, we're, we're having someone come over to um, you know, check the meter or, or replace a pipe because we know it hasn't been replaced in so so long. You, you have to, at least at this point, this day and age, especially if you're holding coin, um, you know, ask them, run, run through a couple questions to make sure that they are who they say they are. And there's a couple things you can you can ask them to make sure of that. How much information do they have about you? What do they know about your address? Um, what was the last reading on my meter? You know, there's basic questions you can run them through to, to really audit them. Because it's, it's so easy to social engineer somebody like that. You know, oh, can you confirm your address to me? And then it's very easy. Yeah. And too many people fall for it. Oh, Especially so the easy. ones who are not tech savvy. Yeah, it's unfortunately the case. I remember something similar was going on in movies from the 1990s, like Home Alone and stuff. They were doing some sort of basic social engineering, 
by calling random numbers and trying to extort information. Yeah, I, I believe it. Um, I, social engineering is, uh, you know, something you can really employ in everyday life to kind of give you give yourself a, a little bit of a competitive edge. And it's just over the phone when it's not in person, it's just so much easier. A lot of different things you can do with that. Um, when I was a child, my parents would always tell me, never talk to strangers. If they ask you where you live and stuff like that, just don't tell anyone. Or if anyone asks you how much money you have, we weren't even rich, but you know, it's never a good idea to tell anyone how much money you have on you and stuff like that, because you're challenging them to steal from you. And the best security is the one that offers a lot of deniability. If they don't know that there's something of value that you carry, there's no risk for you to lose it. Yeah, I mean, keeping your mouth shut is always the best option. I mean, you can even argue me being on this podcast is, you know, bad OPSEC in itself. Um, but hopefully it's for the betterment of other people's op- OPSEC and I'm sacrificing my own for what but little wait, information I can We don't actually own any Bitcoin, so we don't not. have to worry. Right now, we're just evangelizing um, what I think is a great technology that other people should own. Yes, I totally agree with that. You're an engineer and you do programming and stuff like that. So you have your technical fascination. Right. And I sometimes I'm a journalist and I write about it. So I have to understand how it works because otherwise I don't get my precious fiat delivered into my bank account. That's that's right. Yeah. No, I I just want to know everything about it and uh, observe it from the sidelines. Yep. It's the easiest way about it. Read the tweets about other people losing all the coins. Seems too scary to me. So we were talking about generational divides. And do you think that some generations find it easier to get into Bitcoin or figure it out faster? Or see the value instantly? Yeah, and I think that answer also depends on where a person in their their age is actually from. Um, and I should say country-wise. So, um, you know, people who had parents lose all of their money in hyperinflation, maybe in, in Germany before World War II, um, they're going to be super conservative. They're going to understand what it means for... Um, a government to totally destroy their their currency and their savings and ruin their futures. Um, you know, when the th- people who grew up maybe in th- in the 30s, when um, when the government ordered gold to be handed in to the government in exchange for cash, um, that you know, gold was no longer uh, legal tender. I forget the name of the the act. All I know is it was on like April 5th or something. Um, six one o two, I think. Six one. Oh, that that's the name of the the uh the act that went into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget. I've seen pictures of it. Um, and, you know, and then seventies when we went off of the you know Nixon declared that we're no longer on the gold standard. So different ages of people in different places are going to understand from different perspectives of either what it means to lose value in the currency that you were holding uh, or uh, understanding that you need to invest because of 
you know, how inflation has been working over time. Um, keeping your money in your bank account is just going to be a losing proposition because inflation is going to eat it away over time. Um, so I almost find that the, I guess, Zoomer slash millennial border, um, you know, they've lived through both the 2008 financial crisis, but they've also kind of started getting employed in this huge bull run of a market from say 2017 till present um excluding kind of the the march dip during covid um it's been a huge bull run for them and they were getting employed after the financial crisis and stocks seemed like a no-brainer shout out to uh el prez el stool presidente whatever his handle is you know dave portney's kind of the well, unofficial leader of these Robinhood traders, these, you know, young people who have money and are ready to make big gains on it um, in this big bull market. But, you know, if you jump back only a few years, you might you might get people who were coming out of college with valuable skills that couldn't get employed and feel differently about um, how they're going to spend their money, save their money, invest their money. Um, and then even before that, you know, in the 80s, when the stock market was booming, people who graduated then um, might have, you know, been very risky with how they made decisions um, with their first paycheck. So different generations experience different things. And this is pretty much America that I'm talking about, because that's my perspective. But um, I I have read stories and at least anecdotes um, of people in other countries where their government wasn't um, as capitalist and they saw their money um, get stolen from them or whittled away by inflation or other means. And they understand the value proposition in having kind of a store of value, something that Bitcoin can potentially offer as a solution for them. And so there's a big divide between where you're from, what your age is, and what their initial take is on Bitcoin being um, prescribed, if you will, as this store of value. And I'm not even arguing that it is a store of value because um, people, some people say store of value, digital gold, or is it a medium of exchange or a unit of account? I think different people will see it in different ways, but um, certainly people who have seen their uh, fiat taken away from them are going to understand um, the censorship resistant money, if you will. Right. And actually, I'm surprised that you gave this answer, which is long and very descriptive of various events that happened in the life of an American citizen from baby boomers. And what was the generation that fought in World War II? Uh, they were the greatest generation. Yeah, the greatest generation. That's, That's right. a very modest name for them. <laughs> but, you know, you walked through all of these generations and you explained that there is value in it. But if you explain to them that, you know, it's digital money, it's on the internet, it's stored somewhere out there and you cannot touch it, you cannot hold it in your hand. I mean, I suppose only the people who play Fortnite and see the value in V-Bucks or, you know, people who play World of Warcraft. I mean, these are the ones who will understand that this is actually sound. 
and it's secure. Even though when they hold V-Bucks and Warcraft Gold, they trust the third party for the money to still exist because if the server shuts down, then everything is gone and they're not going to have anything. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I... um you know, my grandparents won't even let me touch the HDMI cable on a television because they're scared that it's going to mess something up. So forget about having them set up wallets with this virtual currency that some unknown dude created or a group of people created. Um, they're just not ready for that. But then, you know, you jump forward to uh, another person that I'm close with who works in this industry and, you know, they're they're moving these virtual coins around every day. It's, it's a part of their uh, livelihood. So really that they just can't connect with it. They don't understand it. And if they had to explain it to something else, they would say, you know, uh, yeah, they work in this, the cyberspace and, and, and they move these virtual coins. It means nothing to them. Um, it, it's kind of lost on them. And, while they won't say they don't believe in it, it's just that they don't understand enough about it and they really can't grasp it as much as I've tried to explain it to them. Um, I don't want to say it's a lost cause. It's not because you can break it down into terms they understand. Censor, again, censorship resistant, you know, un, arguably unseizable by a government entity or an individual. Uh, sometimes digital gold can resonate with them. Uh, but yeah, certainly, you know, people that are interacting with whatever Fortnite bucks, whatever they're calling them, um, they're, they are a lot more trusting. You know, download an app, plug in your information once, use the same information across all the accounts. It's a very much a plug and play solution, and they're okay with just sending stuff around over the internet. That's kind of just what they were born and raised into, and. You know, if they wanted to play online, that's what you had to do at that time. And that's what all your friends were doing. And right, it's just what you were raised into. That's what you know. So I think uh, cryptocurrency comes a lot more naturally to the generation that grew up, um, you know, typing on screens and typing with their thumbs. It's just that's what they grew up with. Right. So, Mr. Bob. We have finally got to the part where I take questions from the audience. And you did receive some questions. Ooh. And it's funny that you did receive them from an individual whom you have mentioned previously. His name is Vicarious Drama. Ah, uh, yes. And he wants to know which wallets you prefer. Well, I guess the question is a little vague. I don't know... If if this person is referring to hardware wallets or the format of wallets, but I guess I can expand upon both. Uh, I prefer, well, it depends because <laughs> I guess I can give a little bit of information away here, but uh, from the hardware side of things, I think there's nothing superior than the cold card. Um, tried and true. Uh, CKCC, you can't beat it. Um, although, and I have heard that you can't, it's not as easy opening an issue on GitHub with them if you potentially wanted to submit a suggestion to them. Um, but I have familiarity with the, with the cold card and I highly recommend it. Um, but I also believe that you can generate secure wallets, arguably just as secure with just dice. I mean, I've, 
written a program that you can roll dice to generate your own mnemonic wallet. Um, that's something that is actually publicly accessible. My, my pieces of code that I've written to do that. Um, which I, you know, if nothing else, I recommend as an experiment for, um, people really interested in, uh, mnemonic wallets or bit 32 to, to try out. Um, so that's my hardware wallet side of things. Uh, I know people who have used other hardware wallets and from the discourse I read on Twitter mainly, I don't think there's anything better than the cold card. I've heard questionable things about some of these other hardware wallets. Uh, I am a big fan of the mnemonic wallet. I think that there's a lot of merit to being able to know more than just this random sequence of letters and numbers. I think there's a huge value proposition in there being um, 12 or 24 words that arguably one could easily memorize. And if you can, well, now you have, well, self-sovereignty inside of your head that you can freely move around with. If you wanted to, to travel across borders and you wanted your wallet, well, you don't have to travel with a flash drive anymore, or you don't have to access your passcode on the other side. Um, the ability to just travel with your sats or, you know, pretty much your sats inside of your head is pretty amazing. I don't, I don't think there's any other way to travel with value other than that. You can't travel with cash on an airplane. You can't travel with gold on an airplane to a certain extent, but you can travel with your Bitcoin and that's, that's a huge value proposition. I know that doesn't apply to a lot of people, but that is a huge value proposition. There's also things, there are certain wallets with plausible deniability, depending on your approach. Um, the mnemonic wallet is, is pretty awesome. I also think that uh, things like running tails is pretty cool. That comes with an Electrum. A wallet built right into it um, and of course tails is going to be running over tour so if you wanted to say check a block explorer and you didn't want to reveal an ip address that would be an interesting solution or if you wanted to even manage your wallet that way um, there's a lot of good options out there again hardware wallet definitely cold card recommend it um, how you purchase that Depends on your uh, your threat model. Oh yeah, but if you're just starting out, usually I recommend people to just get a Trezor and Blockstream Green on their phones, and possibly they can evolve to running their full node. Also, Wasabi. I can't recommend Wasabi enough. It's I, one of the finest desktop wallets you can find. I, I totally agree with both of those sentiments. Actually, I, I also want a plus one Wasabi on that. Um, yeah, certainly for beginners, I I would not recommend the cold card only because there's a certain amount of understanding you need to have to know how to use something like that. Um, things like partially signed Bitcoin transactions, working with things offline. It's it's kind of a it's kind of the next level once you've get, got down the rabbit hole. Um, I do hesitate about recommending phone wallets only because 
Um, at least people I know are pretty uh, reckless with their phones about breaking them, losing them and whatnot. Um, and it would be catastrophic to know someone lost their holdings because they lost their phone and I recommended a phone wallet. Um, so to a certain extent, I'll always recommend, I, I understand that backup seed phrases come with phone wallets and things like that, but to keep things entirely on your phone, where if the phone is lost and it's unrecoverable, I would never recommend that solution. Uh, I also would never recommend a multi-sig solution for a complete beginner. Um, although I think multi-sig is absolutely the future in terms of how people are going to hold their coins, hold their keys. I'm not sure what form or, um, you know, what is it? X of N, how, you know, three of five, whatever it's going to be, depending on the threat model. Uh, I think that's absolutely the future of how people are going to hold their keys, whether that's custodial or not, whether that's with trusted individuals, whether that's some in a, a bank vault, whatever it is. I think that's definitely the future. Yes, sometimes. And I, I'm going to sidetrack the discussion a little bit, but this is an unpopular opinion of mine that sometimes we have been brainwashed by these companies that we need more security than we actually do. And we need more complicated setups. And you look at early cypherpunks who got into Bitcoin and they were just using Bitcoin QT, which was the main client. And they were backing up on some sort of SD cards or USB flash drives, their wallet files, and that was it. And that's terrible because some of them have actually lost their Bitcoins because they did not pay enough attention. But yeah, yeah the wallet you don't necessarily yeah. need to get a dedicated device. Sometimes you can get by with something that's very common and general purpose hardware. No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I I know individuals who work with the wallet.dat files back in whew, 2012, 2013 that were not able to recover them. Um, actually, kind of overlapping with individuals who were involved with uh, coins they lost off Mount Gox back in the day. Um, I wish they had convinced me to, to invest back in them, but that was never the case. Uh, I was too naive to understand and fully sit down and understand the value proposition at that point. But uh, no, I, there's definitely um, risks you're taking by taking extra security measures. Um, if you, you know, you really, at the, the end of the day, you really need to run through your, uh, I guess, your protocol of recovering your keys and moving coins. That's something you need to kind of be well-versed in. And I, you know, just like people do fire drills, you got to run through a drill of how do I move my coins if I need to move my coins now? Um, how do I how do I move my coins if I don't have access to my laptop right now? Um, all of these exercises can definitely come in handy down the road. They could possibly cost you nothing to do other than your time. And the more comfortable you get with doing that, um, the more comfortable you're going to be using uh, different hardware, uh, different software. Um, and it's overall, it's going to make you more familiar with um, your coin security. It's going to make you sleep better at night. I, I definitely recommend that. Um, I think a lot of people who jump into the Bitcoin rabbit hole are scared to admit that they keep their coins on exchanges because they're not comfortable with using wallets yet. 
and that is just super dangerous. I mean, I even saw something today where people, um, a lot of people were saying they couldn't withdraw from Cash App. I mean, we know a ton of people are using Cash App to stack sats, and all of a sudden when prices pumped today, well, we went up about $300, $400 over 12K, um, and now people can't withdraw, that's kind of a, a scary sign. I mean, we know t- plenty of instances where exchanges lose coins. There's dozens of examples of that. I mean, as price appreciates, there's only more incentive for things like that to happen. Um, and there's also uh, withdrawal limits. So, you know, all of a sudden your Bitcoin's worth so much that you can't withdraw it all at once. Um, knowing how to move your things ahead of time, I can't recommend it enough. I really can't. Moving on, you also have a question about your thoughts on various people and various phenomena. So what do you think about Craig Wright and Vitalik? Craig Wright and Vitalik. Well, so I remember, all right, I'll start with Craig. Um, First and foremost, the whole Craig situation is pretty hilarious. Um, If you can't admit that it's pretty funny, then well, then you probably are not a BTC fan. That would be the fact of the matter. But I remember reading the core papers between Klein and Craig. I think I read through like all of them. It was just, it was too good of content not to read. Um, I got to think the guy's a pathological liar. He's either, he's either Satoshi or he's the biggest pathological liar. And I'm 99.99% sure that this guy's out of his mind and he just wants to claim it. Um, I can't even believe that he gets invited to the events that he gets to speak at and spew this nonsense. It's really ridiculous. The fact of the matter is not your keys, not your coins, and he can't prove it. Um, I don't know the next date of when this court case goes forward, but I'm definitely excited to read anything that comes up. What is it? It's running out of Florida at this point. They're they're in charge of the case. The whole thing's pretty pretty comical to me. I mean, I think at one point in the the what is it, deposition, I don't know what they call it, where he, he tossed papers and the judge or whoever was in charge of the room at the point said they got angry at him and, and the stenographer had to like annotate him throwing paper. Oh, it was amazing to read. It was it was it was a soap opera played out in legal jargon. It was amazing. Um yeah, no, I not a fan of him, but uh, I guess Vitalik now. So I've been in the loop on, you know, I've been following him ever since I've been into to Bitcoin because you can't not know it. You can't know what Bitcoin is without at least hearing some of the Ethereum discourse. Um, I think if I, I think Vitalik has good intentions, I think he has good visions. I just possibly think that his project is over his own head at this point. I think he's a super smart person. I don't think he's a scammer at all. I think he really had a, a good, I don't want to say utopian, but he, he had a good vision. Um, but for him to steer a project of that magnitude and complexity on the right track is nearly impossible. I mean, everything from Casper to F2, um, there's just so much to it that he's in a really difficult position um but i can't i will say i can't agree with all of the things that he said on twitter lately i think he's contradicted himself 
a lot. Um, I just read very recently about his comments on what he his jargon on what a full node is or an archive node and you know which you should be running. Uh, my understanding is Vitalik doesn't even run a full node. I mean, that alone speaks so much about his own project. Um, I know that the requirements of running an ethnode are pretty big hardware requirements at this point, and the um, challenges of there's a lot of different impl implementations that you can use. I'm not familiar with all of them, but um, at least with Geth that I've read about, I've I've watched uh, or not watched, but read about the Twitter threads of people doing um, eth full nodes or archive nodes syncing journals where they document day by day how far they are into syncing one of these full nodes. And it's, it's rather comical about the amount of trouble that they're running into just trying to be a part of the network. I mean, listen, I'm not going to say I didn't have my own pains of syncing a full node on Bitcoin, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, a chipped nail compared to a broken femur, which would be Ethereum. It's just, it's crazy. Um, but back to Vitalik, I mean, Good intentions. I just think that he's in a tough spot right now, and I don't agree with a lot of the things that he's saying. And I, I, I can't say that I support Ethereum's full vision. I just don't think it's possible to do what Vitalik wants to do. Um, and that's that's why I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. Well, that's one of the many reasons I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I mean, I'm trying to not use the term Bitcoin maximalist because that was coined by Vitalik in the first place. I am aware. Had, I am aware. Had a very derogatory meaning attached to it. But, you know, I think he is very much aware that at this point he is fighting against Bitcoin. He's an enemy. He has supported Bitcoin Cash in the past and did his best to undermine the power of Bitcoin. So right now, and this has been the case for at least three or four years, he has this adversarial thinking against Bitcoin, but his project is not even decentralized. And I think any claim about Ethereum being decentralized is disingenuous. As long as you cannot participate the network with a node and you cannot, cannot validate your own transactions, you have to trust the third party. And just because you have three, three or four third parties that you have to trust, that's not real decentralization. It's just, I don't know, you can call it plurality or you get to choose which third party you trust. That's not very much different from what you have in BSV, where you have a large chunk of the network being controlled by Kelvin. Oh, man. And the rest of it is just, I don't know. I was his, hoping you'd ask partners. me about Calvin because uh, his posts are something else. I mean, I feel like at least at this point, Roger stays quiet on the Twitterverse, but Calvin still is posting these. I think right before our talk, I saw one uh, of Calvin and he said something like, oh, I'm in Italy, just south of the, the Alps, and he's drinking wine with two ladies. I mean, all of his posts are the same. It's ridiculous. Him living his lavish lifestyle and then like, oh, I'm living a lavish lifestyle. And, and by the way, BSV is great. Oh, it's just so ridiculous. I like it couldn't scream scam anymore. And it's I, if I thought if I thought Craig was funny, the Calvin situation is even funnier. I mean, this guy is. 
I don't know. It's mean to say that you could just look at him and be like, yep, that's a scam. But that face, I mean, look at Calvin and look at his posts and tell me that that is not just, I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous to say. I shouldn't say that, but every, I'm biased. I'm biased, but he's something else. I really, I don't know. I mean, I suppose he's a character. He's a character. He has been for a long time, and he is very much aware that he is one. I don't even want to get into some of his questionable decisions in life, if you will. Some of the posts that he's made that he's gotten absolutely roasted for. I don't want to get into that, but I mean, I don't. This is not a human being I trust at all, especially with a, a settlement layer protocol. No way. There are people who are attracted to this type of alpha male. So he definitely <laughs> knows his audience. Is that what we're calling him? We're calling him an alpha male? Okay. He is like 60 and he's dating. I'm looking at the pictures right now. He's dating 20-year-olds <laughs> possibly. Yeah. I hope they are 20. Well, I mean, some of his old posts, I think 20 would be a generous amount of years added to to their age. Uh, I don't. I don't want to get into that. I really don't. I'm just referring to this latest picture yes. where he is in Switzerland. Yes. Yeah. That that was the one I saw right before we hopped on this. I mean, yeah. Okay. I don't care much about his private life, but BSV, I wouldn't touch it. This is more that I've talked about BSV than probably my entire life. It doesn't even deserve this much time. I agree. So also Vicarious Drama wants to know what you think about MMTs and gold and precious metals. Ooh, good question. Um, I don't think precious metals will ever ever go away. I think that, um, you know, even as quote unquote older people um, go away, is that a nice way of saying that? Um, I don't know. Let's say 50 years from now. I don't think gold's going to fall in value tremendously. Listen, there's always the uh, industrial use for it, um, especially as computing ramps up. I mean, not to say that computing is not huge now, but um, listen, if if computing products stay following Moore's law, we're only going to have more computers and we're only going to require more gold. Um, I, I can't comment on the jewelry side of things. I know that's only a relatively small percentage. I want to say 10, but... Please fact check me on that. Um, I think precious metals will always have a place in terms of holding value. Um, modern monetary theory. <sighs> wow. Um, there's no way it's sustainable. It just isn't. Um, I'll be the first to admit I don't know the most about it. But what I do understand is that inflation at this rate and burr, which is Maybe the best meme of 2020. Um, was it 2020 or did we start that in 2019? It had to have been 2020. Maybe the greatest meme. Um, that is, it's not sustainable. I mean, we're seeing the cracks in the dam at this point. I mean, we saw Buffett with gold, his comment on gold the other day. Um, he, what he moved Berkshire into gold miners two days ago. Um, we had, oh, who was the, I can't, I can't recall. Um, big investor I saw today talk about the value propositioning in investing in a Bitcoin. We just saw 
again, I can't remember the name, but micro, micro. So the hedge fund manager. Yes. What what hedge fund was he a part of though? Can you recall? I'm very bad with names. It's early in the morning here, but you know who it is because it was very big news like a month ago or two months ago. Oh, am I that late on it? No, no. I'm talking about something. I don't, I don't know. It was in the last like day or two that he commented on this. Um, but you're talking about, are you talking about Paul Tudor? I don't know. Yeah. Paul Tudor Jones. Right. Yeah. Um, that's not who I was referring to, but even that, I mean, I feel like the writing is on the wall and I mean, especially with the election coming up and possibly how funds are going to be spent on different departments or even distributed individuals. I, what Trump just advised Mnuchin to, to do another, um, what we're going to, we're going to give out, what was it, uh, 3,400 to families. I'm totally butchering that number. I forgot what the amount he, he suggested, but it's just not sustainable. Um, and I, I'm concerned. I don't know how long this is sustainable until things become problematic for the individual. I mean, they're listen, COVID's a huge problem for millions of individuals now stateside, um, not even just globally. Um, and then you throw on problems with MMT right now and how the Fed is handling things, um, possibly if Trump gets elected again, is he going to get rid of Powell and put in, oh, what is her name? Oh, I wish I knew her name right now. I can't remember her name, but there's speculation that he would employ, uh, uh, nominate whatever her name is. Um, and she is arguably pro-Bitcoin. Some of the statements that she's made, she wants to get us back to a hard money standard. So. Listen, things are, at least in the United States, and that's pretty much all I can comment on because I'm just not as well-versed in other world economies. Things are questionable right now. Uh, I feel like it's a lot of question marks. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how things play out. And not only that, but the time frame. Are we talking one year until things could really start moving? Are we talking one month? Is it one policy enactment that makes a big change? I don't know. So, right. So, I only have a couple more questions that is it also possible come I from... take a one minute break? Yeah, sure. I will be back in one minute. So, if this podcast was sponsored, I would have used this minute to talk about the awesome sponsors that have decided to send me Satoshis or, you know, Fiat so that I can mention them. But since it's not sponsored, I'm just going to talk about random stuff. And I'm really happy that I got to get Crypto Coder Bob. That's his name on Twitter. Because he hasn't been on any podcast before. So there's a lot of value in having first-time guests. And they're going to be much more excited. They have a lot more interesting stories to tell. And you know that this is truly something unique that you're getting out of these guests. So I have had this experience where I've had guests who go regularly on podcasts and they just say the same stuff no matter what you ask them. 
So yeah, there's a lot of value in having first-time guests. And whenever Bob returns, I'm going to ask him the two remaining questions that are hopefully going to be a treat. Bob, did you get back? We are back. Okay, so I have used the time as a filler to explain why it's valuable to have first-time guests in a podcast. Hopefully more people will pay attention to the community members that get no love in terms of airtime. <laughs> I get a little bit of love every now and then. If you use TweetDeck, you could be the first to respond to uh, big name accounts. I don't know if you've seen my uh, response to uh, DVD Trader, but every time he posts, I've been throwing up my uh, Davy Bitcoin bingo board that I've been making. Uh, that's been getting more love than any of my posts ever. So uh you can be a small account but you can get love if you're the first to act on a big a big post uh big account post you know that's funny because one of the questions by vicarious drama concerns how you came up with the idea for the davy bingo card and if you have any other bingo cards for other people in the space ah uh, that's a good question okay so i actually started a twitter thread uh, so once I found out that Dave was going to be interested in the crypto space, I started a thread on Twitter where I just started jotting down predictions and it became a, I don't know, five, five or so, five plus tweets in a row, just kind of what I thought his progression was. Um, I knew he wouldn't just be Bitcoin, but, um, that's just not, I, I didn't think he would just be Bitcoin, but at least my thread was tailored towards what my experience, what my experience was, and what others' experience was once they hop into the crypto space, and what their sentiments are, and kind of what they do in what order. Um, so I made some predictions, and as I'm going through that thread, it, I think one of the tweets I said, "Why don't I just make a bingo board of this? Because this is just a bunch of checklist items he's going to go through. It'd be funny if I made a big, uh, you know, a bingo board out of this. You know, I love making memes. I love making funny content. People on crypto Twitter love funny content. I mean, that's what gets, it's a lot easier for someone to read that bingo board and digest it quickly than to read my 10 tweet thread in terms of grasping attention. So it was a no brainer for me. So I used some website to make a bingo board, D-A-V-E-Y. It fit perfectly, B-I-N-G-O. Um, was bingo the farmer's name or was it? The dog's name? I don't know. This, this has been a question posed to me before. Uh, Bingo was his name. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of different squares I put on there, but mainly Bitcoin focused. And then it was an interesting comment was left on that bingo board. Uh, oh, I got to give a shout out to whoever left that comment. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. He's got the uh, the Kenny avatar, though. Uh, oh, I think that's Nunia. Yes, I'm not yes, sure. it is. B E N N D seventy seven is the account. Uh, he says he or she or they says we all need one of these to be honest, and I think that's that's so true. I mean, the, the Bitcoin bingo board here is not only just tasks to accomplish to get you to using Bitcoin arguably properly, either with a hardware wallet. Um, stacking sats, know how to send it, but um, interacting with some of these big names on Twitter, I've got McAfee on there, I've got Russell Okung, Okung I'm not sure how to pronounce that, um, but you know, if each and every one of us 
uses these, the question is, well, what do you win if you get bingo? And so I said, self-sovereignty and Twitter clout. But, you know, it is important for us to sort of check some of these boxes, not just Dave. Um, And I do plan on making a V2 of this board. I've gotten plenty of feedback, uh, both good and a lot of negative feedback when I crossed off the buys a shit coin. We all know Davey bought a link at suggestion of the Winklevi twins. Uh, the Link Marines came out in full force against me. Uh, and I, I'd like to think I handled that properly, but they don't engage back when you use logic against them, but that's fine. Uh, but a V2 is definitely coming out. Stay tuned. Uh, I'm going to be updating those squares with some more relevant uh, squares, you know, with BitMEX not serving American customers, the trades with 100x square will probably be coming down. Uh, and I might add some other popular names that maybe Dave will interact with on Twitter. But uh, it should definitely be exciting to see how many how many squares he crosses off if he gets a bingo, and you know, maybe he acknowledges it, prints it out, and puts it on his uh, behind him during a live stream. That'd be really cool to see. Okay, so just for the record, Nunia Bitness Giga, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know how to say it. However you pronounce his name, identifies as an Apache attack helicopter. Right. So, okay, yeah, I, I, mis, I misgendered them. Exactly, and prefers the pronouns D, Do, Seri, my lord, and my lege. Liege. 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 Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, the uh, I wouldn't mess with an Apache uh, attack helicopter. They're uh, they're an amazing uh, uh, flying mechanism. I'm not sure what the denonym they go by is. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with them either. Mm-mm. And he or she or her story or his story and whatever also has a podcast that's called Bitcoin and. And has like a hundred and twenty episodes or something. Oh, cool! Maybe they'll invite me on if I pronounce the if I if I honor their liege correctly. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll see. And do you want to do any Bitcoin cards for other you know people who are not associated with that Robinhood trader? Oh, you know who I'd love to do one for? A Peter Schiff bingo card would be funny. <laughs> um. A McAfee shipcoin card could be good, although he his engagement has went down lately. Um, hmm. I guess a Proc Pierce presidential candidate card would be entertaining. Wait, he's still running? Uh, as far as I can tell from Twitter, he is still running the presidential bit. Yeah, I don't know. Um, who else? I don't want to do a Vitalik one. Just, I don't know. It doesn't feel right. Just I just let Vitalik say whatever he wants and get himself into trouble but um you know th- th- there's some softball ones right you could do a calvin one and just make you can make fun of people with these cards or you can really do that are like hey it's cool to see this person progress and and cross off these important squares and just like nunia said i mean each of us really should have our own bingo card not even as a joke i mean serious things like getting acclimated with using bitcoin or other coins and getting comfortable with using wallets and um, privacy focused things that could go onto this card. Um, you know, it really is a joke that what I made, but it can be applied in more serious ways. In my mind, Bitcoin cards are more, oh, sorry, bingo, not Bitcoin. Right. 
bingo cards are more of a joke of pointing out to how predictable some people can be. Oh yeah, I mean, I knew the Dave one. I knew so many easy ones that would get would get crossed off. Um, if he does ever engage Vitalik, if he does, that is going to be comical, especially if Vitalik replies. I think he will if Dave engages him. Um, I mean, Dave's going all in on this link and what was it? Or, or orchid orchard today. Um, I think it, I think his, his, uh, crypto career, if you will, is only heating up. Um, I do, I, I think I did make a prediction though, that if coins tank within the near future, right after he's been invested, that he's going to, he's going to give up on it, call it all a scam and get out. I don't think the Winklevi did justice in it explaining to him really value proposition in this. And listen, I don't necessarily blame them. I don't think in the small time frame they had with him, they could really do justice. It's a longer conversation than that. I mean, you and I both know there's a whole rabbit hole to really understand what Bitcoin is. And then not only, not only Bitcoin, but um, the whole cryptocurrency space. And then why maybe that'll direct you to understand why Bitcoin, not shit coins. So He's got a, a lot more uh, boxes to check off before he gets to that point. And there was no way the Vin- the Winklevi were going to get him to the point of uh, understanding why Link was a shit coin and why everybody uh, attacking me comically in these comments was uh, hardly worth addressing. And speaking of Brock Pierce's presidential bid, <laughs> what do you think about the upcoming elections? Uh, um, I don't know. I don't want to get too political here, but. Oh, you don't have to just. Uh, you know. I'll say that if debates happen, if they do, and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't, I will absolutely be tuning in. I think it'll be good primetime television. We haven't had real primetime live television in a while. I mean, there are sports on finally now and, you know, basketball playoffs are on and hockey playoffs and uh football is not back this is the state side i don't know what's happening else in the world other than actual relevant news where things are happening but not to say that relevant news isn't happening stateside but i mean people tuning into primetime television uh in the states is not what it's been but um the debates would be top of the list during covid uh if you will uh i don't know if they're gonna happen what do I think of the election? Vote in person if you can. Um, I've received the the mail-in forms. Right? You got to trust but verify. And especially in this space where you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, I Maybe you saw today with the um, USPS. I think it was the USPS filed a patent for blockchain voting. Uh, relevant XKCD here. Uh, they, well, you should go read that XKCD. Maybe you, you link to it, but, uh, I could send you the link, but blockchain voting. I don't think we're ready for that yet. Uh, it has not been hashed out. No pun intended. Uh, vote in person if you can and definitely go vote. Um, even if you're voting, not red, not blue, um, exercise your right. And again, this is speaking in America. I don't, I can't speak for any other elections. I'm just not informed enough. Oh, yeah. It's actually interesting to see how you mentioned that the debate 
it would be primetime television as politics in the United States is not very much different from entertainment oh, these days. I mean, we're and talking you're about... you're never sure when something is very serious and when it's just a matter of boosting the polls and getting better popularity results. I mean, to Donald Trump, I don't think there is a difference. This man starred on The Apprentice for, I don't know, what, eight seasons plus. Uh, that show was entertaining for what it's worth, and that was well before he was ever a candidate. Uh, I mean, the guy, I don't want to say he was an actor, but he was a television star at a certain point in his life, uh, and he still is. Uh, there's no doubt he likes being in front of a camera. It is entertaining whether you side with him or not. Um, from the dumb things he says to him trying to be serious. And if he does go up on the stage against uh, presumably Joe Biden, and I don't know who else they would put up there, probably just the two of them, that is going to be electric television. Tune in. Yeah. I don't know. I I wouldn't want to live in the United States. No offense. (laughs) Uh, Some will say it has its ups and downs. Yeah, more downs lately than ups. Yeah, maybe it depends on where you are, where you are in life, your social status, your what you can and can't afford. I mean, it's it's different for every individual, especially during COVID. Um, the situation's so different for different people here. It's it's actually pretty crazy what's going on right now. Maybe never crazier. Unprecedented, they will say. That is the word of the year. Unprecedented. 2020. I mean, unprecedented if you disregard the Spanish flu from 100 years ago. Well, it's not only Spanish flu, but it's Spanish flu on top of where's the economy at? How does that affect? um, You know, how how do people respond to the Spanish flu in different areas? Um, You know, we have Black Lives Matter movement going on right now. There's so many things coinciding with COVID right now that I don't even think it's fair to compare it to just the Spanish flu. We're in such a different time right now than it was then. I mean, what's wrong with the economy? I saw a tweet from Donald Trump who said that NASDAQ is at another all-time high. Well, we've got arguably a super inflated stock market. And one could also argue that that's benefiting the people who can be invested in the stock market. And just because the uh, stock market is pumped up doesn't mean that trickles down to every individual American. Um, With the unemployment rate where it is now, with people uh, probably dipping into their 401ks, and and so many people without 401ks, um, or that have been totally used up because of they don't have other savings to use during this time. I mean, un- again, unprecedented times. Um, the, what is it? The, the Cantillon effect. We, the, the wealth is not being distributed equally right now. Um, and for him, for Donald Trump to be tweeting, you know, markets at all time high, like it's a great thing. Um, that doesn't benefit everybody in America the same way. Uh, that's just the way things are right now. And so I think maybe that's a super short sighted view and only affects a small, well, small is relative, but a certain percentage of Americans the same way that it affects others. 
Okay, I don't want to get much more into this. Sure. Because it would not be on topic. But let's get some closing statements. Like, where can you be found and what should people expect from you on Twitter if they follow you? Uh, so my handle is at CryptoCoderBob. Uh, you'll probably see Bob the Builder icon. That's me, 8333Tcoin. Um, my profile says that I'm into Bitcoin, programming, poker, and puck, and eventually a future meme expert witness, which I wholeheartedly believe in. At some point, somebody's going to have to explain to juries the context of memes. That will be a real thing. Um, what can you expect from my account? Um, a wide range of things, just like I described. Uh, I follow everything from hockey. I follow poker news. Uh, I'll write various code in different languages upon random things. But I would say probably 80% of my content is Bitcoin-focused content um, and or cryptocurrency-related content. Uh, and a lot of memes at this point. I've been uh, ramping up on making some... Uh, GIFs, just got into that, learned how to make good GIFs. Uh, people are hating on me for my DV bingo Bitcoin board, but I'm going to keep up. I'm going to keep that as my pinned tweet for a while and definitely update that as he uh, progresses through his own Bitcoin and or cryptocurrency journey. Um, so I don't want to say I'm a, a shit poster because I'm not. I like to have serious conversations uh, on Twitter, but uh Jack of all trades, master of none. I'm kind of spread out across my various interests. Uh, yeah, pretty much uh, Twitter is where you're gonna you're gonna find me on the internet. Okay, I hope you get invited to many more podcasts and present more of your, you know, findings in this Davy Bingo card. Yeah, I, don't I was even, about I don't to even say know Bitcoin what to call card it. once again. Don't know what to call it yet. I haven't uh, come up with a good name. Davy Bitcoin Bingo. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't fall off the tongue easily. I hope that you get to the point where you put a big red X on Barstool runs a node, but uh, I I don't see that happening anytime soon. That would be big. I mean, if somebody maybe sent him a node, uh, the man loves doing unboxing videos. I think it'd be really cool to see him. Uh, unbox you know a dan held custom 3d printed barstool logo node and he plugs it in and you know it becomes real at that point when you run your own node and he can see his own transaction come in and verify it in himself that would be really cool to see oh i hope it's not dan held <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's how we originally uh conversed with one another over a dan held post okay so I will let you go sleep. I suppose it's late in the States. Uh, yeah, or early, depending on uh, how you want to look at it. Oh, yeah. So it was nice having this conversation. I feel like I've learned a bit from you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I do appreciate the opportunity to uh, have uh, uh, low content, low follower accounts uh, get featured on a podcast as a great opportunity i'm really glad it's i not got it it's never about the followers it's about the ideas being presented so don't worry thank you for uh, accepting other perspectives thank you for accepting to join <laughs> all right